one of the photos, he is not in the photo. <laughs> like gone, not in the frame. You see the piano, you see everything else in the room, but he is missing in the photo. Do you still have the photo? I do, yeah. Oh that my it. gosh. Kick the tires and start the fake fire. It's time to go camping. Today we have legendary photographer. I'm proclaiming him that, he didn't say that, but it's true. Jeremy Cowart, celebrity photographer voted by Huffington Post as one of the most influential photographers on the internet. He's worked with Sting, he's worked with Taylor Swift, he's worked with the Kardashians, but of course his biggest excitement is that he is now working with me in this bus. So Jeremy, Thank you for joining us on the campsite. It's true. This is the peak of my career <laughs> That's right. right now. Oh, man. Well, so we always have to start off. Uh, camping is a passion of ours. Did you camp as a kid? Have you ever camped in the back of a bus? Uh, what is what is your story with camping? What's your relationship like with camping? Yeah, I, I've camped a good bit throughout my life. I'm a southerner. My dad and family weren't as outdoorsy as I wish we had been, but... Uh, but I have noticed as an adult now, like my favorite life memories are basically anytime I was outdoors, just in nature. So I do. I'm an outdoorsman at heart, and uh, I hope to take my own family on more camping trips. Now, growing up, did you uh, did your family go out? Was that like a thing the family did a lot together, and it uh, was like a tradition at all? Or we did do a lot a lot together. We were a very close family, but camping was sadly not. <laughs> Not one of the memories I have a lot of. It was always like beach trips and, you know. But you're from Nashville. Mm -hmm. So was this a Carolina beach or uh, Florida? Florida. Okay. Yeah. All of Nashville goes to Florida every chance we can get. You know? How far? I know we are currently camped out in Nashville, Tennessee in a beautiful parking lot. Uh, <laughs> but how far are we from the ocean right now? But eight hours. Yeah. All right. Mark, could you start the car and we can we can be there. <laughs> All right, so you're from Nashville, and uh, I want before we get into your you know uh, soon to be legendary status uh, of your careers in photography, um, what was what was it like growing up uh, in Nashville? Uh, was it uh, is it a great place to live and grow up? It is, yeah. I um, like I said, I've been here all my life in various parts of town, and uh, it it's been an amazing. I mean, I don't know anything different, so it's tough to compare, but. Yeah, I certainly love growing up here. I actually grew up in the music industry, like literally singing background on records for artists. And so I'm about as Nashville as it gets when it comes to growing up in the music industry and being around musicians. And now I'm a photographer of musicians. And so the music scene has always been uh, surrounding me one way or another. Now, as a so you were as country music, I'm assuming, or was it all types of records? Uh, growing up, yeah, I was in this little kids group, and whatever a professional artist would need children's vocals, we were like the, the hired guns, you know. No so I sang on, gosh, tons of records as a like ten year old, and then I hit puberty and my career tanked. Yeah, <laughs> that voice broke, and <laughs> thus ended a promising. Career. Exactly, exactly. Um, now you have four children. Are have they been enlisted in any sort of choral <laughs> groups or professional backup no, vocalists? No, they, uh, they, they have not. They would probably refuse to do so. Oh, man. Well, at least you could take a commission or something, yeah, right? I mean, you got to yeah. pay the bills somehow, right? Exactly. Uh, all right. So as a, as a young kid, you're, you're singing, so you're surrounded by the arts. Uh, is that where this creativity started to foster and be curated? Yeah. I was um, in a very creative home. Uh, we were always like doing music together, my parents and my brothers, and kind of in a pretty cheesy way. You know, my family would sing together like, on stage at church and so um but my parents just always it was definitely a home of creativity and so they would always encourage art drawing painting singing piano drums whatever it was they were we were just an artistic family growing up that's awesome now when did you because i know you paint as well and you draw you have all the sort of the artistic suite of mm -hmm. uh, a broad palette if you will but uh, when did when did photography really step into the picture for you? Not till um, way down the road. I, uh, I took one photography class in college and I nearly failed. Uh, it was really? photography is really intimidating to me because all the f stops and apertures and darkroom and you know it's just scary. So I didn't really 
want to do it, didn't care for it. So I was a graphic design major. And so graduated college and uh, was a graphic designer for a long time. And then when starting to date myself, obviously, but when everything switched from film to digital, I already had a massive advantage in knowing all things digital. I was an experienced Photoshop user. So when the, when the digital cameras came around, I was like, oh, this is like my wheelhouse. And so I bought my first digital camera and started just photographing my friends, you know, who were musicians. And um, I knew so much about Photoshop that I could really do a lot digitally. And so my career just zero to 60 took off as a photographer um, and signed an agent pretty quickly in Hollywood. And I don't know, it was kind of uh, kind of a really really fast uh takeoff early on all right i want to want to get into that a little bit so i didn't even know photo so photographers sign with agents i didn't realize that yeah at a at a very rare and high high level yeah it's not a super common thing okay and so what was sort of the breakout for you how did you go from recreational i'm studying this to like okay this is something that you know is going to be a, a more formative career path for me um, again, it just was all very organic. I was surrounded by musicians. Literally all of my friends were like singer songwriters or somehow. And, and so I would just design the records. And then once I got a camera, I would shoot, shoot, you know, photograph them and not having a clue what I was doing, but, you know, just putting out personal work and that would lead to the net. They would get signed to a label, then the label would hire me to design and shoot. And then I started getting hired more and more. And then I ended up beating an artist, a big artist, uh, beat other photographers to photograph an artist here in town. And a few of those photographers were repped by an agent in Hollywood. And so she called me and said, hey, you just beat me out for this job. And I love your work. Would you like to work together? And so that's kind of how I landed an agent um, just by luck, you know. Um, but yeah, she certainly uh, kind of blew me up uh, early on in my career. That's awesome. And uh, as you uh, as you got in as you got into this and started working with all these well-known folks, is that is that intimidating at all when you when you're going to photograph someone like that, or is that just something that you you know I'm good at this, this is what I'm made to do, and it doesn't really get in your head? I'm curious about the headspace when you get ready for a big shoot with someone like that. Yeah, there's um, there's definitely a lot of nerves. I mean, I've been starstruck more times than I can count. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> and I've always, in hindsight, I wish I had been more bold, like outwardly confident. I'm very inwardly confident. I know I can get the job done. But outwardly, I think uh, I've been very quiet and uh, just a little bit, um, I don't know, yeah, probably nervous and shy. Uh but they want they want that bold out, outward energy, and I'm very laid back and kind of introverted. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's certainly always uh, a lot of pressure. I mean, you're dealing with huge budgets and a lot of handlers and clients. I mean, celebrities and their you know everything comes along with it. And so, it's crazy in hindsight that I was dumped into that world at such a young age. You know, really didn't know what I was doing. Um, had to figure it out as I as I went along. How old were you when you got the agents and you? Well, I didn't start my photo career until the, I was 28 years old, oh. um, like full time. That's when I quit my design company and started shooting at 28. Um, and then I landed an agent that that year of being a, being 28. I mean, it was very quick. Um, and so she, you know, I remember that December I was out in L.A. shooting, you know, Sting and. Uh, you got to shoot Sting? Mm-hmm. Sting and all these other uh, Hollywood elites. And, that is so cool. Um, then shortly after that, it was shooting for the biggest TV and movie studios in, in Hollywood. And um, again, <laughs> really not having a clue what I was doing, which is so ironic because these days I'm actually very, very skilled in the studio and know what I'm no equipment and lighting better than I ever have. But then... I didn't have a clue. And yet, you know, so many times Hollywood in the music or any industry, they just hire the next young thing. It doesn't matter how mm. good they are, what they know. And I was proof of that. Like it was almost like just because I was the new guy in 28 and 
whatever I was getting hired on all these just ridiculous gigs and was essentially clueless. I have to ask, so does Sting listen to his own music during his shoots at all, or the, the police? I would be be very meta, be all kind of baller. Hey, well, I had to shoot portraits uh, backstage of him at one of his concerts, so we weren't actually listening to any music. Oh, really? Yeah, just <laughs> me and Sting, no music, just awkward as it gets. Yeah. That's that's awesome, man. He's uh, Gordon Summers, man. That's, a, that's right. Sting, if you're watching this, huge fan. <laughs> um, so, is it? When you get to that, uh, when you get to that level, and, and you're working with all those um, celebs, how do you actually, how do you prep for something like that? Like, how do you, how do you get in a proper headspace for that? Yeah, I mean, it just depends on the job. Every job is so, so, so different. Some are easy, small productions. Some are massive productions with a lot of lot riding on the line. I mean, they're, you know, I remember the days of doing literally six figure photo shoots, not video production, just stills that were six-figure budgets um you know you're renting sound stages and there's 10 sets built and there's lighting gear for miles and um yeah man it's it's terrifying um but and so then there's somewhere you just go out with a camera on location and drive around and get cool photos so it all depends on the job but um but i was always nervous so i always couldn't sleep before shoot and you know that's so cool. I, I didn't think about that because it's, you know, when you go for a shoot, you're, I'm, I'm looking to you to inspire me like, hey, you're going to make me look good, right? Yeah. So you need to be the confident one for me. Because yeah. I've always, funny, I tried, I, I'll have, I've, when I've done like headshots and they turn on the music and they're, I have a friend and he's like, all right, there's a, there's a tiger over in the corner. Do you see the tiger? Like, look at the tiger for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, not lose it i just think it's hilarious sometimes yeah. but you know it worked to his credit <laughs> it, it worked for that shoot and i thought so do you have those little tips and tricks to help people kind of uh, unwind and find their their true self you try to yeah i mean it's funny because i remember reading a interview with annie leibowitz she's one of the most successful photographers ever um she was talking about how she just likes to watch and observe and wait and even embrace the awkwardness and uh, it was good to hear because i tend to do the same thing i'm not a big director i'm not telling them all the, these crazy tips but sometimes when they're so awkward they literally don't know what to do in their deer and headlights then i'll i'll try to you know one of my favorite go-to lines is um just to throw them off guard is uh i'll say would you mind just slowly removing your pants <laughs> just seeing just seeing usually there's a great you know natural so and that I don't think I've ever said that to a woman, but I'll say that to another dude just to like get a laugh, you know. <laughs> uh, hey, bro, would you uh, mind slowly? And the key is slowly, because that's what really you know makes it awkward. <laughs> oh yeah, I gotta check the Yelp reviews and see if see if <laughs> see if that's in there. So you mentioned something about being young, and it's it's just considered cool when you're younger and you're like the new thing. Is there? It seems like in a lot of creative endeavors, youth is viewed as like automatically if you're young. It must be a new fresh take etc and that if you're if you're older somehow you can't have mm -hmm. you know the, the new fresh perspective is that does that sort of bias exist in photography as well like if you're you know as you get older does that kind of work against you if you've just been around longer it really does it's crazy that um that phrase i've heard a few times the youth is wasted on the young is kind of real i mean it's kind of true and i'm an example because again i was landing the biggest jobs of my career to date in my first year of photography and wow. again it was just because i was like the new cool thing you know for for clients and i really really didn't understand lighting i didn't understand cameras didn't understand gear i had a good eye but i was just not i was clueless you know and so again now i'm 15 years into my career i'm it's just crazy how how much more I've learned and in really good with, in studio lights. And now those big jobs are still being given to the the twenty two year old whoever you know who's also clueless. And uh, so yeah, it's crazy. I mean, there is I do I do still do a lot of those gigs, but it's not like it was during that first rush. Yeah. And it's always the whoever's just like the music industry, like or in the acting in L.A. and like who's the new young cool thing crazy 
Uh, I wanted to be the cool new young thing, <laughs> but at 34, I don't think I'm yeah. I'm ancient when it comes to yeah. cre- creative pursuits. But you know what? Like I, I'm not I'm not bitter at all because it I love the the forced reinvention, like the forced. How do you mm. continue to pivot and how do you continue to reinvent yourself? How do you come back after burnout, which I've had to do many many times. Um, not or not just burnout, but just where you just don't like your work anymore. Um, so yeah, it's not it's not something I'm bitter at. It's just how the industries work. Um, but it is fun as you get older. Like how do you continue to to learn and and stay relevant? No, oh, totally. So. so at one point, the Huffington Post crowned you as the most influential photographer hmm. on the internet. I'm sure that came with a lot of great responsibility. Hmm. Uh, so what? How did that happen? What did that mean for you? And what was that practically? What did that? How did that change things for you? Well, this was a, uh, gosh, six years ago, two thousand fourteen. Um, when I don't know, the internet obviously all social media has been around for a while, but six years ago also wasn't what it is now. So it's kind of this in between moment where um, there was a there was a agency that had been hired to do all these super in-depth social media um, studies on all the different industries. So they went through like 30 different industries and studied influence and who is the most, not on one platform, but average across all platforms. And so when it came time for the photo industry, um, they did their study and um, I didn't have the most engagement on any platform, but across everything, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest at the time, Google Plus, I think at the time, uh, I forget what else was the thing at the time. Um, I actually came in second, <laughs> but the guy that came in first was literally an astronaut posting photos from space. So they said <laughs> they said he doesn't count. <laughs> uh, they said so we're we're awarding you, you know, the most influential photographer, and uh, <laughs> it was cool. I was just a random phone call where the guy, and apparently like. It's something that I didn't really care about, but it's definitely a good like thing to put on your resume. And like when you're speaking or doing podcasts like this, it's a good talking point. But these days I wouldn't even make the top, I don't know, 500 most influential photographers, mainly because I just kind of, to a certain degree, kind of checked out. You know, I think everybody has a love-hate relationship with social media, and I've certainly have my long bouts of just like not really caring about it, you know, not trying to be influential or an influencer or whatever. Like I took four years off of Instagram altogether. Um, so yeah, like it was cool at the time, but it's not something I put much uh, worry or weight into these days. Well, you are certainly the most influential photographer in this bus. <laughs> I can, if that's of any comfort that to you. That means the world to me. As it should. Yeah. Uh, as it should. So <laughs> vote <laughs> Voted by a unanimous poll. Thank you. you know? So yes. congratulations on that. <laughs> so for those folks who are considering jumpstarting their career and becoming a 28, booking an agent and becoming a celebrity photographer right out of the gate, uh, what's your wisdom for those who are considering uh, a career in this? It's so funny that you ask. Um, I'm actually developing a whole platform as we speak really on this question. Like how do you is a creative of any kind, um, build a career. And uh, that's always been like the multi-million dollar question that nobody can answer because it's such a complicated thing. But I've realized over time there is one answer on how you do it, and that one answer is personal work. Like you have to dig deep within yourself, figure out what you're passionate about, and build, build out personal projects that build your career. You know, like... You doing this bus right now, this camp thing is is a personal project that will expand into other opportunities. Like you can't, it's no longer good enough to just take good pictures and think people are gonna hire you. Like good pictures are everywhere. Everybody's a good photographer. This iPhone takes amazing photos. So you can't, it's not like the old days where you could just be a good photographer and like start a career. Like you gotta, you gotta do something that is worth attention and that is personal work so does that mean also you have to carve out like your niche is it like is it would your advice be like hey because when i heard about you it was like oh he's a he's the 
influential photographer and he does a lot of celebrity work right so that's mm-hmm. like kind of okay that was what got back to me first but is would it help for a, a, someone aspiring to do photography to say like oh they're they're the one who you know they're the astronaut who does you know photographs mm-hmm. of space or they're like does it help to have a, a yeah carved out niche it does i mean there are photographers who are kind of like i shoot babies and weddings and cars and senior portraits and families and I'm available, hire me for anything. Tons of those, and they never really get anywhere in terms of really scaling your career. I mean, they can stay busy shooting that stuff the rest of their life, but it's not really a... I do believe that to have a really great career, you do need to specialize to a certain extent. Now, you've obviously done a lot of work and a lot of diverse clients, uh, with a lot of diverse clients. Have you had any weird shoots or anything that would raise an eyebrow? Besides telling them to slowly unbutton their pants. Yes, I've had lots of weird shoots. Um, one that comes to mind, I won't... Yeah, no I names. W- no names. They're all anonymous. I here. won't say the name, but I will give a clue, a funny clue. But <laughs> I, I once photographed somebody who has run for president this year. <laughs> uh, and uh, they were just crazy they were out of their minds screaming at everybody for no reason just because people always ask me who's the biggest diva you've ever photographed and it wasn't a it wasn't an actress or musician it was actually a A now and now trying to be a politician yeah wow okay well and i appreciate that with voting within nine days you they're not currently they're not one of the two current uh presidential contenders but they tried to become one (laughs) wow yeah so folks you're gonna have to tune in for episodes much later (laughs) to figure out when jeremy does the big reveal yeah so i guess that was going to be your scary story you're going to tell by the fires (laughs) it wasn't no it wasn't but it could be yeah uh what is the most beautiful thing you've ever photographed uh, nature wise or is there something that just took your breath away it was majestic yes i uh did a uh, photo shoot in Iceland with an artist named Imogen Heap. And uh, we were just the two of us and her boyfriend and my assistant. And uh, and it was just amazing. Like Iceland's like a video game. Every, you know, 10 miles is like a whole different scene. You oh, know. Iceland's amazing. That was, I actually told you, that's the most beautiful place I think I've ever been. I got to mm-hmm. go in October about four years ago and yeah. uh, drive the ring road. And it was, you're right, you just, you turn the corner and there's, golden like almost like wheat it looks like against mm-hmm. this blue ocean and then suddenly green everywhere yeah. and then black you know yeah. volcanic beaches. exactly it's, and it's pretty accessible I, i'm surprised yeah. i mean a lot of people are going now but i was surprised at how coming from california how you know it was a two-hour flight to portland and then a mm-hmm. five and a half hour flight to yeah. iceland it's amazing yeah. exactly yeah that's i'd love to go back there it was incredible mark we gotta figure a way to get the bus to iceland so that would be a next level <laughs> for i went camping in iceland yeah. Jeremy Coward. That would be awesome. Uh, who would you love to photograph that you've not yet worked with? And then we'll see if they're behind the curtain right now. Gosh, so many. Because um, they're watching, obviously. Oh, totally. I know Bono's watching, so Bono, I'd love to. What would you say to Bono yeah. if he was here right now? If he's here right now, I would uh, talk to him about the hotel I'm building. Yes. Mark, would you bring out our special... What? Oh, okay. Actually... <laughs> I guess Bono's not here, so I'm sorry. Dang it. I know. Oh, there's such a letdown. I know. <laughs> that'd, be a pretty, that'd be a pretty awesome shoot, right? If you're just yeah. like, dude, I was doing this podcast, and the guy knew I was going to have had Bono waiting in a parking lot in Franklin, Tennessee. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. That's a- uh, I, would, uh, I would probably pee on your floor or something. Something really embarrassing. Oh, that's a, that's a fake fire, but we still would request you do not <laughs> urinate on it. Uh, who is... Uh, just because I know we're in Music City, so I have to ask, uh, who are the folks you love listening to while you work in um, your playlist for fostering creativity? Lots of lots of Tom York, lots of Coldplay, lots of really depressing singer-songwriters. I have a custom playlist <laughs> that I'm always adding to, and it's like 500 just sad, mellow, acoustic songs. Oh, man. <laughs> And one more question on shoots too. What's the most disastrous photo shoot you've ever had happen? Oh man, there's a lot. There's a lot of those stories. Disastrous. Can think of a, a recent shoot I did where the shoot went great, but somehow 
all the files and the delivery and the transferring and all the digital work afterwards like we lost the shoot and that, that that's a bad day that's that is a bad, bad day, day. man yeah all right so we've come to that point on our camping trip getting a little hungry culinarily feeling a little inspired uh, obviously i'm excited to do this segment with you but um it has often been said in Inuit culture that you may build an igloo, but you may not roast a s'more, for your igloo may be no more. <laughs> so on that note, actually no one says that, but uh, we like saying that. We invite our guests to help make the camping trip complete by designing their perfect s'more. If you had all ingredients, anything, the world is your oyster. You are obviously at the intersection of creativity and empathy, as per your mission statement here. So. I would like to know, what is the s'more that Jeremy Cowart would create? <laughs> well, I'm on a really stupid restrictive diet due to health issues. But if I were not on that uh, diet, it would involve Nutella. Ooh. Some Nutella, some bananas strawberries i don't know maybe either or in a s'more is there such thing as a nutella bar there needs to be now we should talk you, about that offline to, yeah you need to that needs to be a part of this yeah just nutella uh anything yeah and granola some gluten-free granola i could eat that hmm. i would just have the consequences but it'd be worth it oh man are you a marshmallow fan nope no. <laughs> yes yeah no one i have found likes I mean, everyone likes the ingredients separately. Marshmallow is questionable for some yeah. people, but together it makes something interesting. Yeah, I mean, I could see marshmallows still working with my other ingredients I just listed, but I don't. Yeah, I'm not just sitting around popping marshmallows. Well, I know you love acai bowls, and I was hoping. I do. I was, I was like, yeah. how do you make a, an acai s'more? Oh my gosh! Yeah, there you go. That's my answer. The acai uh, s'more would be amazing. I have no idea how you'd make it, but. Dude, I eat, I think I literally eat one acai bowl a day. Like wow. I'm, I'm obsessed. Yeah. Wow, I love acai bowls. I'm uh, in San Diego. We have a very famous cafe called Swami's, nice. uh, and they do incredible acai bowls. It's fantastic. All right. Now, also, I believe this actually transcends not only federal law but state law. It is a requirement that a spooky story be told around a campfire, especially a carbon neutral campfire like we have <laughs> right now. So, Jeremy, as a photographer, you have the ability to obviously use technology to gaze into the metaphysical being of all the people you you take photos of. What uh, what is something otherworldly, spooky, mysterious that you can share with us that has happened to you? I do have a good story. Um, I was once doing a photo shoot in Los Angeles at the, um, of course. I think it's called the, it's like the, it's a big castle. It's like the Magic House or the Magic Castle. Magic Castle. Thank you. <laughs> Is it a castle? It's like the Magic Castle. Um, anyway, I was in the Magic Castle doing a photo shoot of this artist and we were, um, in the ghost piano room, whatever that is. Apparently you, call out to this piano and you request a song and it just plays the song whatever you request so we're in that room and my musician is sitting on the bench where the ghost plays the piano and i've got like 20 people around me it's a big shoot and um i'm tethering which means your your camera's connected to a computer screen so everybody can see the files and so I'm like, you know, I'm even on a tripod, like locked down and I'm shooting photos. The lights are flashing. The artist is like, I mean, five feet in front of me on the bench. Um, and in one of the photos, he is not in the photo. <laughs> like gone, not in the frame. You see the piano, you see everything else in the room, but he is missing in the photo. Do you sell the photo? I do. Yeah. Oh that, my gosh. That is a, a true story that happened. Um, years ago it's what do you own, think happened it's my only real ghost story i have no idea he was on the ghost bench all the other photos he's there i took probably i don't know 100 or 200 photos during that little 
set up. We should see if we could get that and show uh, show the listeners. Maybe we can. I do need to go back and find it. I haven't looked for it in a long time, but yeah, I keep everything. So, dude, that's trippy. Got to be there somewhere. Yeah. Okay, and that really happened to you. That really happened. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's a real wow. thing. Magic Castle. That place is gnarly. It is. Yeah. I know. I should go camping there. <laughs> Terrifying. Okay. Well, as we near the end of our camping trip, we now turn to the stars to ponder life's great mysteries, to conjure up the deepest questions from the innermost being of your soul. So, I think I want to start with, uh, I guess, well, the important stuff. So, uh, you're a husband and a father. Um, what, what is that like? Like, yeah, everyone says it's the best, toughest thing, but uh, for you, Jeremy, what's, what's fatherhood and being a husband like? Man, um, just nonstop uh, <laughs> chaos, really. Um, and, and yes, good chaos, and for sure the hardest thing I've ever done, the most beautiful thing, the most rewarding thing, the you know all the things. Um, we have two boys, two girls, two biological and two adopted kids, and um, uh, one of our adopted kids is the hardest challenge I've ever faced as a human being. And uh, so, so yeah, he's he's worse than the political candidate. Yes. Okay. Wow. But close, um, <laughs> close. No, he. Uh, yeah, it's you know, he's a challenge. Parenting is a challenge altogether, but adoption can bring a whole world of different challenges. But for those listening, like our other adopted child, is easy as it gets. You know, so um, adoption is not always hard. We just have one challenging situation one not challenging so Man. but uh but yeah i mean my wife's working full-time i'm working full-time four kids at three different schools so like morning and afternoons you know we become uber drivers uh to all the things so and they don't pay you <laughs> they don't nope no <laughs> we pay them yeah net <laughs> export on the cash there yeah uh, how'd you meet your wife uh we met in college uh i uh long time ago um i was actually on stage playing and singing i had just finished leading music for you know church like college group thing and uh mm. i was still on stage just working working the crowd trying to trying to work the girls and uh i spotted her and went and talked to her right after right after the thing and uh she was dating somebody and uh but that night she had a weird thing happen at her apartment, like where she was scared because there were guys like knocking on her window or something. And I lived close by. So she called me and of course I came over and, uh, hmm, to help her. Well, yeah, totally. To help her with my, to minister to her in her time of need, extremely bulky, 120 pound frame and, uh, scared <laughs> everybody away. Uh, no, but yeah, well, I did go over there and we just hung out and then she broke up with her boyfriend like a week later and we've been together 23 years since <laughs> so that was the most successful shoot you've had then was that night yes yes for wow. sure that's <laughs> that's awesome yeah um uh where'd you go to school again middle tennessee state university awesome. mtsu yeah. awesome and uh so when when you're trying to figure out whether to get married or how did you did you know she was the one or i, I love asking this question because i so half people i interview say oh man lightning bolt struck me or whatever and it's like it was so clear and i was like nah, kind of just over time just fell in love i do remember telling my friends like within two weeks like i've met my wife you know um she was just really different i remember being at a social event where everybody was you know socializing partying whatever hanging out and she was in the back of the room like spending time with a person in a wheelchair because they were by themselves and i just thought like that girl's different like that girl that's legit awesome you know and so uh i knew she was special and different and uh just so easy to be with and uh and that's really been the the hallmark of our marriage is that we have never fought like we don't fight you know 23 really? 23 years in there's no you know we just don't never have and not to say we're amazing but i think we're just both laid back and um I mean, we've had a few, maybe a handful of intense, you know, arguments, but over 23 years, that's pretty, a lot of people have intense arguments once a day, you know. Um, have you won any of them? 
Not likely. No, it's, <laughs> it's not likely. You know what we do? Uh, I once was watching this um, thing on relationship advice, and it's the only time I've ever heard anybody suggest this relationship tip. And it made me laugh so hard because I realized that's what my wife and I do. They, they basically said to diffuse tension with humor. And so, like, when I'm legit mad at my wife or she's legit mad at me, we actually threaten each other's lives. And it's really funny. So, for example, if we're in the car and I'm driving and she says something that I don't like, I will <laughs> I'll often say, I'm going to hit this eject button and it's going to pop you out through the roof and I'm going to watch you roll down the road behind me. And it's going to be amazing. I'll even say that in front of my kids. <laughs> like, we'll invent serious ways we're going to end each other's lives. Or, you know, I will punch you in the throat. Um, very anchorman type uh, humor. And uh, oddly enough, like, it actually works. It's just become this thing that we've done forever. Even with my kids, like, we'll just say, you're the worst. Like, you're the absolute worst. <laughs> and so somehow it just kind of diffuses the, it lets you release the other person knows you're just being stupid and I don't know, some something about it works. I want to know who the uh, therapist was that, you know, <laughs> that uh, conceived of, that, of yes. that treatment. Also, I would, for our listeners who live in closer quarters, perhaps, and share walls with neighbors, yes. uh, perhaps they should keep their voices down when yeah. exercising threats. Exactly. <laughs> we'll also just look at each other and do this. That means I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna cut your head off. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's probably a good segue into faith. Uh, so, uh, despite despite uh, th- existential threats to your yes. spouse, yes. Um, you're pretty open about uh, faith and purpose. And obviously, I want to save the crown jewel of uh, your your projects for the end here. But um, <laughs> uh, have you always been a person of faith? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I've been a believer since I was gosh ten years old. So I was raised in the church and been. I was like, I'm like the trophy Christian camp kid, you know, it did all the, all the camps, uh, and, um, grew up at the church and yeah. When did, uh, when did it become particularly real for you? Um, cause I know obviously, especially growing up in the South, I imagine you're kind of Christian by default, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it felt real like, I would say in high school, it felt like it. It was a real, you know, I mean, I believe that I honestly, you know, believe that when I was 10, when I first um, you know, became a believer. But yeah, I think throughout high school and college and then obviously the rest of my life as you grow and mature, you know, becomes more, you understand more and unlearn, unlearn a lot, probably just as much as you learn. Um, so yeah, a lot of learning and unlearning. Yeah. Do you, uh, what's, uh, what's prayer look like for you? Yeah, um, one day I'm going to ask God why he made me so ADD. So I've never been, as long as I can remember, I've never been one who can just sit and like pray as a good prayer Um, because I'm so insanely ADD. You know, like I can't focus my thoughts. And so I'm just like, you know what, God made me that way. And so it is what it is. Um, But my prayer feels more like a continual listening to to god it's a lot more listening than it is talking um and i just feel honestly that god speaks to all of us we all everybody calls that different things you know even amongst different faiths and beliefs but um i don't know i just feel like i'm always listening and um receiving you know and obviously i do pray but i'm just not one of those like I can't pray for an hour, you know. So the, when the psalmist describes uh, the individual who meditates on the law day and night, that is not your. That is nope. You are not that one. Nope. Okay. Nope. Got it. I remember even being a young kid at camp and been like watching, you know, when do you split up and everybody go have their quiet time and like look across campus. I was like, man, everybody's so good at this, and I'm not. And it's just because I've always been truly uh scatterbrain um, now with four children you don't have to worry about that because there is no such thing as quiet time right? that's exactly right yeah. yes truly <laughs> literally yeah oh man um what is do you, have, do you have a crazy story or something of a time when you felt like you had a particular prayer answered or something that was really profound for you that you could share yeah um it's weird i, I think 
anytime somebody talks about like God speaking to us, um, I've had a few moments like that in my life and, uh, I don't actually audibly hear a voice like God, you know, coming in, but, uh, I think what the rest of the world calls ideas to me are God speaking to us. Um, they're the most, you know, when, when an idea strikes you, I think that's like the most valuable thing in life, like create fresh creativity, um, is, is such an asset that so many people push away or they think I can never do that. But for me, it's like, I've learned that that is like the most important moments in life when there's fresh, in my opinion, divine, you know, thing that just comes out of nowhere. Um, so it wasn't really an answer to prayer, but it was in uh, yeah. 2012. I was on a photo shoot in a hotel in Los Angeles and out of nowhere, truly nowhere, uh, you know, God gave me this massive vision for um, a hotel chain. And I have no experience in hotels, no family history in hotels, no friends or any interest in hospitality. In fact, I hate hotels. I find them quite unimaginative and boring. And so for that to happen was so, and for me not to be seeking, wasn't like burnout. I was like actually at the height of my photo career. And so um, for it to come out of nowhere and not only be an idea for a hotel, but like specific vision down to the little details down to the marketing the how we would build it down to the name down to the tagline all of that hit me within a 60 second window um in a moment's notice just walking down a hallway and so it's in those moments that i'm like okay you know that's not me i can't take credit for that when it's that random and that specific and clear and um so yeah, like that was a God moment. And I actually had another one of those recently, but um, anyway, so yeah, I've, I've certainly had a few crazy moments like that. Well, what a wonderful segue yeah. into yeah. Uh, the Purpose Hotel, which I already made this joke earlier, but when I was reading it, I have on several occasions uh, juxtaposed it to the Porpoise Hotel. <laughs> which is obviously not a marine biology preservation hotel, mm -hmm. which is also a spinoff you could do. Mm -hmm. The Purpose Porpoise. That's right. The Porpoise Driven Life. <laughs> yes. That's right. So. Porpoise Driven Hotel. That's right. Yeah. So tell us about This is such a cool concept and seems, on one hand, it's like, how come no one has done this, right? Yeah. And it's like, wow, this should be, this should be something that's done yesterday. Yeah. Um, but tell us about it. You've had some incredible Kickstarter campaigns. You've been working on this for you were in fact you said you were it was such a big and bold idea it was almost nerve-wracking you said I, I don't know if i can do this so i didn't do anything for three years literally three years i said no to the idea I had the idea in 2012 which was pretty like now it's super normal for businesses to be socially conscious and giving back and all that stuff but in 2012 tom shoes existed charity water existed um, but outside of that, like socially conscious brands wasn't a big thing. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I spent three years in fear events. So fast forward to 2015 when a series of events led me to believe that this needs to happen, which I'll rewind. So the idea was that I had in 2012 is to build a global hotel chain where everything inside the building, um, basically helped people outside of the building so your blankets could come from nonprofits the soaps and shampoos the um artwork could come from humanitarian artists the um every room sponsors a child and tells their story um you know just every everywhere you look there's reason behind why it's there we we source everything for nonprofits. so by saying that you're kind of having like this insane amplified impact on not one nonprofit or one cause, but a hundred plus causes. So, um, you just know that you've helped all kinds of ways just by choosing our brand. Um, so yeah, I knew it was a, a big idea and a good idea, but spent a long time in fear of it. 2015, we decided to start with the public with a Kickstarter launch Kickstarter 2016 that took us through 17 to like finish and fulfill and mail all the perks and rewards. 
2018 or 19 was really spent just diving into all the investors and architects and finding land and raising money and um and then we are set to run this year and uh, uh this little COVID 19 thing hit and has literally decimated the hotel industry i mean to a degree which obviously nobody saw coming um but oddly enough as we sit here uh in this fall of 2020 there's still a lot of good momentum for us personally um and so i, I still i mean i don't think i know it's still going to happen because there's it's a big project where we're like we're paying a lease on land downtown nashville like it's real you know there's a lot of people involved but still it's hard not to succumb to doubts and fears all the time especially with the pandemic and um but yeah we, we march on um to building this crazy crazy That's dream awesome. i do have to ask just from a practical standpoint too because you launched a very ambitious kickstarter the first time and then i think you said you fell short mm -hmm. just a little short of the goal and then the next time did it again mm -hmm. but so what advice do you have for those who want to do these big ambitious kickstarters yeah to keep your your rewards with kickstarter you have to offer like a reward or a perk and so we went all in with our hotel we're like we're gonna do coffee tables and robes and uh uh you know paper and pens and uh, all kinds of stuff uh, leather bags and clothes and t-shirts <laughs> We had no idea how actually difficult that would be to have all those things made and then have them shipped. Oh, and totally. So I think they're fine as long as you really keep, you know, the more digital perks and rewards, the better. So you're not having to physically mail because we had over 5,000 people back our campaign. And so that was every single one of those orders was completely custom and unique. And so it was just months and months of work to actually fulfill um all the, all those so it was i don't know that i would do it again if i'm honest because it was a lot more work than we expected but it did serve its purpose more than the money was just the pr like it i mean it went pretty viral at that at that phase and uh launched us into the hotel industry and we are featured on rolling stone and conde nast and all all kinds of places oh that's amazing well, bless you for that. That is such a cool project, and I am so excited. And uh, obviously, Sting and all the other people watching this will uh, be so blown away by that. And that is such a, that is such a cool project. Uh, we like to finish on an upbeat note with just uh, celebrating gratitude and uh, what makes life good. So, kind of rapid succession. Uh, what are a couple things you're just immensely grateful for? Man, uh, let's say health right now, especially with just finding out an hour ago that one of my best friends has COVID, you know, super grateful for health and a healthy family and just water to drink a roof above my head. You know, it's the simple things for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what does your spouse need to hear that you don't say enough besides death threats? It's a really good, <laughs> <laughs> that was good. You got me with that one. Um, yeah, I mean, that I'm so proud of her. She's killing it as a realtor right now, and I do tell her that. Um, she needs a break, needs her own trip or space or time to get away from all of us and work and everything. Um, she doesn't stop. She is truly, truly a superhero. So, What's the good stuff in life? Like, what's a couple just simple pleasures or something that you just love? Um, man, just... just I'll say one thing work-related, one thing family-related. I mean, just doing anything with my kids and, and wife, like going on trips. Like I'm, We just went last weekend to uh, a, a massive water park hotel, and I think I rode... That was the Porpoise Hotel. It was the Porpoise, yes. <laughs> so you had to swim with porpoise? What's the plural of... Porpoises. Porpoises. Porpoises? Yeah. I think I was just going to make up the word porpoise and stick with it. Um, <laughs> Porpoise <poop>, <laughs> Uh Yeah, but just, you know, I did every water slide with my kids and anything just having fun with the kids. That sounds like such a generic dad thing to say, but it's true. Um, Work-wise, just I, I'm an artist at heart, truly like a painter. And for me to have time just to create and make weird 
weird crap that nobody understands. I don't even understand it, but it's in me and I got to get it out. So anytime I get to just release and, and create uh, is my happy place. That's awesome. Who do you owe big time? <laughs> That's a good question. You should, do, you should think about doing this more often. Should I do a podcast? You should. Um, Cause I do a lot of these. There's so many parking lots in America that we have yet there to visit. Are. I do a lot of these things and your questions definitely, definitely win. Um, who do I owe a lot to? Yeah. Who do you owe a lot? Who do you owe big time? My business partner for sure. He's just, uh, he's really carried the weight of the purpose hotel. Um, hmm. I mean, it's, it, I'm the one who gets all the attention cause it was my idea. You know, I'm, I'm the, the creative behind it, but to pull off something of this magnitude, nobody will ever understand how much work it takes to execute it. And so my business partners poured literally thousands and thousands of hours over the last five years into making this thing come to life. And uh, it's so much legal and business and financial and investors, all of which... I don't know anything about, you know, I'm truly an artist and I'm all right brain, extreme right brain. That is where I live. And so the, the left brain side of this is the majority of what we do. And so, yeah, I owe a lot to him. That's awesome. This last one we should tag team because I actually think Bono would make a great interview too. Mm -hmm. And you'd like to photograph him. So mm -hmm. what do you want to say to Bono about why you want to shoot him? Well, um, or work with him or something. I just like the way he's uh, used his talent to point to things bigger than himself. You know, so many artists and celebrities, they just absorb it and love it. And it's all vanity and more money, more power, more fame. Whereas Bono has always been an example of like holding the mirror, like having the attention hit him and then using it to point to whether it's AIDS or water or whatever mm. current devastating situation is happening so such a good example for everybody i mean obviously i do love uh his music um especially joshua tree still i don't love all the records i'm not like a huge youtube fan per se but that's i cool, just respect right. i did what's that that's cool give him a little like you know i mean you're cool i mean yeah, <laughs> no, no. i mean i want to like hang with you but you know i'm not fanboying you that's <laughs> That's good. You don't do that in Nashville. I well, told, I, yeah. I tend to sound, I just was starting to sound like this massive fan where I think you can be a huge fan of somebody without necessarily being like, I feel the same way about Taylor Swift. I'm a massive fan of her, but I don't really listen to her music, you know? Um, but if you want to come get interviewed, Taylor, we'd be happy to photograph and, uh, you know, partner up on it's that. It's true. That's right. I went camping with Taylor Swift. It's pretty, uh, yeah, pretty good name. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Awesome. All right, Bono, if you're listening, <laughs> in the name of love, please help him out. Well done. Well done. <laughs> well, we are parked where the streets have no name. I actually have noticed that out here. There's a lot of signs I can't read, so yes. a song rings true. <laughs> <laughs> Killing it. Killing it. I know. Well, Bono, we will continue on with or without you. So. <laughs> You've been camping with us. Oh Thanks for camping, folks. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks for listening, folks. If you enjoyed this and we're confident you did, please leave us a five-star review and hit subscribe. Also, go on over to YouTube. Check out our channel where you can watch all the s'more stories in their beautiful firelit glory, and you can hit subscribe there as well. Thanks again, folks.